0: Look, the prison economy runs on cigarettes. They're involved in every economic transaction at some stage, from <laughs> contract killings to naked woman picture acquisition. Right. That's why we've got shampoo at six batteries. We've well. got tattoos at
1: 50 commissary stamps. Slots
2: Hey, welcome to Planet Money. I'm Khana jaffe Walt in Seattle.
3: And I'm Adam Davidson at Planet Money headquarters in New York. It is Wednesday, April 15th.
2: So, Adam, right before we sat down here, the Bureau of Labor Statistics let us all know that the prices that we pay for goods and services, they're lower this year than they were last year.
3: Yeah, and that is the first time in over a half century, no, in more than 50 years, that the prices... U.S. consumers' pay this last month is less than the comparable month a year ago. And now that, you know, regular listeners to this podcast know that we're very scared of deflation, that deflation is worse than inflation. I don't want to go into the whole thing because we've gone into it a million times. But um, but we're told not to worry so much, that this is prices going down, and that normally means deflation, but that... Um, that the core of the CPI, which means consumer price index, actually went up, that what pushed the prices down um, into negative territory was things like food and energy prices that generally fluctuate an awful lot. So um, we're told not to worry so much. But obviously, if we see this happen month after month, then we worry. And we'll tell you when to worry, right, Hannah?
2: We will let you know. Okay, but that's not really our indicator, right? That's a... Yeah, that was just a little –
3: yeah, that was just a semi-indicator.
2: Planet Money indicator today is one godzillion.
3: All right, Hannah. We here at Planet Money, you're new to the team. We use real numbers.
2: (laughs) Ooh, smarty pants global economics (laughs) reporter. Godzillion. I've heard of it. Haven't you heard of it, Adam?
3: I mean, I've heard, like, children – Using it, but um,
2: uh huh. Uh-huh. Well, that is my point. Godzillion, you've heard of it. I've heard of it. It's an indicator of our total big number ignorance.
3: Right, like when you hear a million, what's a million? It's hard to picture. Uh
2: huh. That's cute, Adam. Yeah, we're way beyond millions here. Billions, trillions, numbers that we're throwing around like candy. We are going to get into them today, and we are going to understand them.
3: Well, we're going to try, right? I, I, and I'm in your hands on this one. Um, and and you, you're going to explain to us why we don't easily grasp these big numbers, right?
2: Exactly. But first, we're going to get into a little news story here that, of course, involves a big number.
3: Right. Uh, we are coming from Laura Conway, who's sitting right next to me in Planet Money headquarters in New York. Hi, Laura.
4: Hi, Adam. I would like you to refer to me from now on as Olara Notre Dame de Bois, please.
3: All right. Um, I feel like I've been away a lot, and you and Hannah have just taken this whole planet money thing off in a very <laughs> odd direction. What's going on?
4: Uh, that is my NPR name. It's kind of an internet meme, and I'll explain it in the podcast post today, and then you, Adam, and you, Hanna, can get your own NPR names, too. Um,
3: all right. I'm, I'm a little nervous for some reason, but okay. <laughs> um, I already have, you know— and per name, I call it Adam Davidson. Uh-huh. All right. So so what's your big number?
4: The big number is $32.6 billion. That's the amount that China's foreign reserves fell by in January.
3: OK. So uh, foreign reserves are when a central bank of a government owns a bunch of foreign currency, they keep it in reserve which is why they call it foreign reserves. And yet, generally, they do that to protect that country, uh, to protect the value of their currency. It it makes the economy more able to withstand shocks, that sort of thing. And uh, a lot of what China has, some huge percentage, is government debt from the U.S., U.S. bonds.
4: Exactly. And the question for today is, what exactly are they doing with that debt? And I started down this kind of complicated path When I picked up my New York Times on Monday and the paper said, I'm just going to quote it, it said the Chinese government actually sold bonds heavily in January and February before resuming purchases in March. And I, Adam, walked away with the impression that China was selling off its U.S. bonds.
3: Right. And that that could be a trigger of panic because, you know, we've been hearing this. You talked about a meme. This is an economics meme that China is one of our largest creditors. If they start selling our bonds, then the U.S. will have a hard time uh, getting people to lend us money. And especially at a time like this, that could be very disastrous. I've generally said that I'm not so worried about that idea. But this New York Times article caught a lot of people's attention and said, oh, my goodness, is China using economic nuclear war?
4: Yeah, basically, it would be a terrible thing, most people say, if they were to just suddenly dump the U.S. holdings. But a couple of China watchers... I talked to, also came away with the same impression I had that the times meant that they were selling off U.S. bonds and dumping their holdings, basically.
3: So you did an excellent thing. Whenever China reserve currency comes up, I think we here at Planet Money uh, to quote uh, to quote our favorite Bloomberg on the economy, we call one eight hundred Brad Setzer. Yes, we've had him on our show. He's an economist with the Council on Foreign Relations. Used to be basically a running partner with Noriel Rabini and he's been a big help to us and to many people. So if anyone would know what China's doing outside of China anyway, it's him.
4: Yeah, it's him. Brad Setzer spends a lot of his time swimming around in, in deep data on China and trying to overlay one set of data with another to understand it. Setzer told me the same thing that I heard from the currency folks at Brown Brothers Harriman, who've been up in arms all week about this Times piece. Setzer says that the drop in China's foreign reserves is mostly a matter of changes in the exchange rate, and it's kind of simple in a way. He says that some of what China holds is in dollars, and some of it is in euros or yen or whatever, but they report all of it in dollars.
3: I see. They say we have a trillion dollars, but it might be 800 billion, and I'm just making these numbers up, and 200 billion in euros. But if the value of the euro goes down, which did happen against the dollar, um, then China's central bank will report that its foreign reserves went down. And they say that in dollars. They just translate the euros into dollars.
4: And it might make you think that they were dumping dollars. I had Setzer, walk me through some of the exchange stuff.
5: Well, in January, the euro fell Against the dollar okay, so, so uh you know I'm making these numbers up, but they're roughly right at the end of december uh a euro was worth uh one point four u s dollars uh and that the say at the end of january the a euro is worth one point three u s okay. dollars
2: okay
5: uh even if China didn't uh, buy or sell a cent the dollar value of its reserves, as it reports it, would fall.
4: Euro goes down. The value the value of the reserves goes down. They report that in dollars. Therefore, they report having fewer dollars. Exactly. Okay.
5: Um, and so that's basically what happened in January.
4: In and February? They,
5: February, the dollar was a little bit more constant against the euro, so there was a, not a big effect, but there was a little bit of that effect. Okay. Uh, and then in March, the euro uh, rose Against the dollar, uh, and that pushed China's reserves, reported reserves, back up.
4: Now, Adam, what Setzer is saying is really very different from what's in the New York Times report, and it made me wonder whether the Times had interviewed him. So I ask Setzer. did 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 the Times call you by any chance on this? Story? Uh,
5: he, he tried, and I was uh, I missed his call on Sunday.
3: Oh, man. I mean, we here at Planet Money have a rule. You do not discuss Chinese foreign reserve holdings without talking to Brad Setzer first.
4: If you can possibly help it. I think we've all been in this position where you can't reach the person you want. And I'm not sure that the Times is t- so totally completely wrong. It's extremely confusing. There's data flying around all over the place. I did catch up with the reporter. His name is Keith Bradshaw. He's posted to Hong Kong right now. And he told me that he's not so sure about the lead part of that story where it says, you know, China's selling bonds heavily. He's not crazy necessarily about that word heavily. But for him, he says the whole thing hangs really on whether investors are moving their money out of China.
3: Right. And that's another scary term, capital flight, it's called, when global investors pull their money out of a country. And, uh you know, that would leave China with less money invested in their country, which would mean they'd have less to buy foreign assets, um, which would make also their accumulation of foreign reserves slow down.
4: Exactly. And Bradshaw says that the enduring question for him is whether China remains as big a banker to the U.S. as it has been. And I have to tell you, Adam, after I got that part figured out, the whole thing just turned into an enormous data blizzard. And you can check out the charts on the Planet Money blog, Okay.
3: All right. Awesome. Thank you so much, Laura. Thank you. Let's leave China and go back to Seattle. Hey, Hannah. uh, What what do all these numbers mean? We just heard, uh, you know, 30 billion this, 800 billion that.
2: Right. So and we hear them all the time and we know how to say them and we maybe know how many zeros those numbers have in them. But there is something missing. There's, it's just really hard to understand these numbers. We never use them in our daily life. This sort of—I feel like I don't have space in my brain for these numbers sometimes. So, what we're going to do is we're going to face these numbers head on. And we're going to try to understand them. We'll start in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And we're going to start with a teacher, Mr. Bob Peterson. He's been teaching for 29 years. And he always has this moment in his school year. It's like about two months into the school year. He's working with his kids in math class, and he puts a number up on the board.
0: I might write the numerals, one billion, which is, of course, a one followed by nine zeros. And uh, I ask what that means, and they'll say, oh, it's a zillion, or that's a... That's a million, or no, and they'll have some good arguments about it. They'll be waving their hands, and some will be calling out. And That's a lottery. You can win the lottery with that, you know. I mean, that's they become animated in terms of what these numbers mean, but there's wide ranges of guesses from hundreds of thousands to millions to zillions to words that you've never heard of before, godzillions, and so on and so forth.
2: So... Mr. Peterson will say, let's count the zeros, everyone. Nine zeros. This is a billion. And the students, you know, they go, OK, a billion. They can say it. They can write it. But then Mr. Peterson kind of starts to notice that they, they don't really know how to use it in, say, a conversation. They don't really have an idea of what that means.
0: Because when I ask kids, uh, what's the population of our city? Or some kids uh, might say the population of my city, Milwaukee, is 3 million, and then I ask them what the population of the country is, and they might even say it's less. Wait, wait.
2: so they'll say like 2 million?
0: Yeah, so you know, the point is that sometimes the numbers don't really register in terms of what they mean.
2: So when this happens, Mr. Peterson, he knows he has to do something, he takes out his wallet.
0: So I take out my cash and take out a stack of $1 bills, and I have uh, 25 or 30 kids staring right at me
2: immediately as I start counting
0: out my $1 two three and one dollar bill each second i place down
2: okay so we're actually going to do this here so adam caitlin's there in new york with you right
3: yeah she's right next to me hi caitlin
2: hi hannah hi adam hey so do you have the money yes i do 60 bucks
3: and some of that's mine by the way
1: yeah
2: yeah (laughs) you'll get it back i promise okay so adam you have a stopwatch there caitlin you got the money yeah we're good we're ready all right So Caitlin, I want you to count your dollars just like Mr. Peterson is doing one dollar a second and count through your sixty and then once you get through make a little tick mark or something on a paper and then just start again. Okay? Okay. I'm ready. One, two, three, four, five, six. Okay, can we actually turn Caitlin's mic down though so that we can keep going? Eleven. All right. We'll come back to her in a little bit.
3: All right, but Caitlin, I wanna I want you to keep counting, all right? Seventeen. Okay, and let's go back to Mr. Peterson's classroom.
0: Eventually, I say I've discounted $60 in 60 seconds. How much, that in, how much is that in a minute? Just making sure that no 60 seconds is in a minute. Okay, that's 60 in a minute. But how long would it take for us to count up to this number, a million, I ask. And then the kids guess, and two hours, you know, three days, and I'm trying to figure that out. And eventually, a number of groups come up with, uh, the answer which is about 11 days and 0.7 depending how how you figure out the hours and stuff and uh, and that really blows the kids away. Wow it takes that long but then comes the big one which I put up a billion. How long would it take us to count to that and pretty soon we find out to get to a billion that would take you know, counting us 33 years and they're amazed at that. Uh, wow I'm not, my dad isn't even that old they'd say you know. I said yeah just imagine if your dad been born and he counted one one dollar a second for his whole life it wouldn't got up to a billion and they're just amazed that the number is so large and they start to get a glimpse of its significance
3: even for those of us whose dads and even selves are a little older than 32 um you start losing track. So, um, you know, I certainly know from getting emails from listeners or talking to listeners or friends that when they hear these numbers, it's really hard to dis- what's a million, what's a billion, what's a trillion. It's just hard. I, I hear I'd say that's one of the main things I hear. People have a really hard time getting their heads around it.
2: Right, and there's a reason for that. It's actually been scientifically proven that we have a hard time with large numbers. I talked to this neuroscientist, Daniel. On Uns- wait a second, Caitlin, are you still counting? Forty-three, forty-four, forty-five, okay. forty-six. Good, thanks. All right. Forty-eight. So I talked to this guy, Dr. Ansari. He's from the University of Western Ontario, and he says, you know, Mr. Peterson's students and all the listeners writing you, Adam, they're not morons. The reason that we have trouble with this is he sort of helps me think about it like this. We all have these mental number lines, and it's almost like your perspective on the number line. You're at zero, and so you look out ahead, and you can see one and two and five. You can see them really well, but 100 is kind of way out there, and it's a little less clear. And wait, wait. So kind
3: of, I'm picturing there's just a bunch of lines – It's like I'm at a football field or something, and the the numbers are just going out in the future. So three, four, five. Okay, I can picture that. And And you can kind of see those
2: tick marks, like one, two, three. You can see those tick marks really well. You can tell the space in between them on that field there. Right. But 100 is further away. And 150 or 200, they look pretty close to 100 from where you're standing. So the higher the numbers get, the harder it is to discriminate between them. And – He does this experiment where he shows people, you know, two dots on a blank page. And right away, people know that's two. They can see it. They say, that's two. But then he shows them seven or eight dots, and they're not quite as quick.
3: Right. And that makes sense, because you count one, two. That's quick. You count seven, one, two, three, four. No,
2: no, no. But he says that you don't actually count two. You can perceive two. You just, you know it's two. The two-ness of two, you can feel it. But then the larger the numbers get, you have to start counting them serially.
1: Children, of course, when they learn about numbers, it's an increasing abstraction away from their perceptual experience. So they might be able to perceive that there are three uh, glasses on the dinner table. And then, you know, they will link that uh, perceptual representation to a linguistic one, the number word three. And then they will go on to link that number word onto an abstract symbol, an Arabic numeral, the Arabic numeral three. So you have this process of, in, of increasing abstraction and linguistic representation as well. And then once you have the linguistic symbol in place, then you can start to represent at least linguistically these larger numbers, but they do not have any more perceptual reference. So I like this approach of saying, you know, I can count out these $100 bills and the, it will take me X uh, amount of time to get up to a thousand. How much will it take me to get up to a trillion, and so forth? So he's not only using now a number, but he's also mixing it up with time. You know, which is actually very interesting because we think that the systems for the representation of time and magnitude are very related. So it might might help children to use different dimensions of magnitude to strengthen their understanding of these highly abstract large numbers. And there's research suggesting that the same brain systems are also involved, for example, in estimating how many dots are on the screen or how many beeps I've just heard and how long I saw something or how long I heard something. So these magnitude systems seem to be very closely interrelated in the brain.
2: Right. So he says we all need help kind of understanding, you know, the magnitude, using different dimensions of magnitude to understand these really abstract numbers. Because, you know, nothing in our regular lives is measured by millions or billions and definitely not trillions. Um, so we would never perceive the trillionness of a trillion. Um, but if we relate it to something that we know, like time or space, that can help, you know, put it into a context – um, and then he says, "You need to be able to learn how to abstract from there, so and you do that just by keeping using those numbers and adding to them and subtracting them and dropping them into conversation millions, billions, trillions, just hearing them a lot
3: so so basically, the entire <laughs> United States, maybe the entire world is for the last six months been in a crash course of learning how to think <laughs> about millions and billions and trillions, and we 're still new at it right
2: right, and we're going to help people get a head start here so Let's do it the way that Mr. Peterson set up. So, if we have a million is eleven days, and a billion is almost thirty-two years, and a trillion is about thirty-two and a half thousand years.
3: So, so Hannah, you were talking before. I'm, I'm trying to think back. So, um, if we start counting, you know, a dollar second and. Actually, someone right here is counting. Are you still counting a dollar a second, Caitlin?
2: 31, 32, 33, 34, Anna, don't You want to mess up her
3: 36,
2: 37,
3: 14, 38, 29 39, 34, 40, 41, 32. 42, 78, All right. All right. Bring her mic
2: down. Okay. <laughs> okay. So if you started counting just like Caitlin, yeah, like you're saying, Adam, if we go backwards, so a dollar a second backwards, that's 11, you know, about 11.5 days ago. And that's not that long ago. That's like not last Friday, but the Friday before. um, And I can still remember that. I had dinner with my friend Irene. I remember exactly what we ate.
3: Yeah, that was the night that Alex and I and our wives went out to celebrate Alex and I winning the Peabody. And we got more drunk than I've been in many years. (laughs) (laughs) So I remember that day. I remember much of that day very vividly. All
2: right. So Adam being drunk, that was a million seconds ago.
3: Right. And then a billion seconds ago. So, Hannah, I don't think You weren't alive 32 years ago, right? You're younger than that. I was not. Okay. But 1977, I remember well. I remember... it was a tough year in school for me. I had a tough teacher. And my best friend and I, Jeremy Stratton, who I haven't spoken to in a long time, we just kept getting in trouble. And the teacher split us up and put us in different classrooms. And it was very traumatic. And I also remember the blackout in New York in 1977. Um, so anyway, I remember that year. I mean, I, I was a kid, but I, but I remember it. I, I, so that was
2: a billion. Billion seconds ago. That was a seconds billion ago, seconds ago, yeah. Adam was getting in trouble in class. A million seconds ago, Adam was a drunk. Well, okay,
3: okay, I got drunk that night.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, fine. A trillion seconds ago, Adam, you weren't alive either. A trillion seconds ago, it's more than 32,000 years.
3: And I got to say, Khan, if I can. So, 32,000 years, like I'm a bit obsessed with Near Eastern history. That's actually what I majored in in college. And, uh, you know, I lived in Iraq and I studied um, the ancient Near East. And I think of very, very long ago as the Assyrians and the Babylonians. And maybe. Very, very, very long ago is 10,000 years ago when, um, you know, there starts to begin these little agricultural villages in what's now Kurdistan. And this is – that's nothing like – Those people were closer to us than they were to 32,000 years ago. That just blows my mind. I don't even know what to picture 32,000 years ago.
2: Right. It is hard to picture. I mean, it's before Western civilization, basically. Neanderthals were going extinct around there. People were making their very first cave drawings with blade-based tools. And that's, you know, all of this is give or take a couple thousand years. But when you're talking about 32,000... That's all right,
3: right? Right. So, okay. So from getting drunk with Alex and our wives, by the way, our wives did not get that drunk. It was really just me <laughs> and Alex I should mention. But but from, uh, okay, getting drunk with Alex 11 days ago to me and Jeremy Stratton getting in trouble 32 years ago um, to beginning cave drawings long before anyone thought to harvest a plant or domesticate an animal. Um, I mean, th- yes, you get a sense of how, big these years are. I mean, one thing that I see is like from a million to a billion doesn't seem like as quite a big a jump as from a billion to a trillion. I know they're both a thousand times the previous one, but it's still, you know, it gives you a sense of how how big these numbers get.
2: Right. And there's that exponential growth there. So the difference between a million and a billion and a billion and a trillion, it's not the same.
3: Right. So and and, and by the way, Hannah, an embarrassing confession. I get really confused because Europeans use different numbers, right? There's a milliard and billion means something different. Actually, can I ask if there's anyone listening in Europe? Can you email us at planetmoney at org, and we will post an explanation of how it works in Europe? Right. Right.
2: Okay, but let's move on to bailout numbers so we get a real idea of some numbers that we're hearing all the time now.
3: Excellent. Um, all right, so um, the original TARP bailout, that's the money, obviously, that Congress... Allocated to the Treasury to buy toxic assets, and then later to, they used it to uh, buy stock in banks and save AIG and all sorts of things. That's $700 billion. So if we do that, $1 a second, that takes us about 22,000 years. So we're back around 20,000 B.C. now. There's, there's no agriculture. There's no – I don't think there's animal domestication, although I'm sure someone will correct me if I'm wrong. We're, we're reasonably primitive
2: <laughs> yeah, whatever, though. I scoff at your 20,000 BC, Adam, and I raise you a Fed program. $1.2 trillion to buy treasuries and mortgage-backed securities, $1 a second. That would take us 39,000 years.
3: All right. And then let's compare that to the China's foreign currency reserves. That's $1.954 trillion and... I'm not doing the math in my head, although I want to pretend that I'm that fast. That's (laughs) 63,000 years. Um, And then if we add all the money, my bet is, and I can't do this in my head, but if we add up all the Federal Reserve activity and all of the Treasury activity, I bet we're getting back before there were human beings in the hundreds of thousands of years.
2: Right. Right. All right. So all that, hundreds of thousands of years, and we will compare that now to the AIG bonuses, $165 million, takes us back five
3: years. Wow. I mean, that's – yeah. That, that that makes you see how, how how meager that is. But let's just make ourselves feel how meager we are. Um, Caitlin, are you still – you still 34. counting here? Okay, okay. Okay. I think all you're right. done, right? Yeah. Okay. So – how 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 much is our podcast worth?
2: So I've counted through my sixty dollars fourteen times. I have fourteen ticks, and then I've counted thirty four dollars on top of that.
3: Okay, so fourteen times that's fourteen times sixty is eight forty plus thirty four is eight hundred and seventy four dollars. Eight hundred and seventy four.
2: Hundreds. What are hundreds? Right.
3: <laughs> hundreds are nothing. So that eight hundred and seventy four is about fourteen million. So if we wanted to do this podcast, if we wanted the length of this podcast to equal those AIG bonuses, so the bonus – I'm just going to do the math here. The bonuses – So the
2: bonuses took us about five years.
3: Right, which – So – That is 157,784,630 seconds.
2: In five years. In
3: five years. So minus 784.
2: My head hurts.
3: No, no, we can do this. So uh, divided by 874. So we would have to do 180,530 of these podcasts to equal the AIG bonuses. Wow. We're going to do it, guys, Yeah! if we stay here all night. Can we do
2: a gazillion podcasts, please? Sure, why not? Sure,
3: that's roughly 4.7 million years.
2: All right, so we have links to lots of different ways to think about large numbers. We are thinking about them in terms of space and football fields and tomatoes and doormats, all on our blog, npr.org money. I'm Hannah Jaffe-Walt.
3: I'm Caitlin Kenny. And I'm Adam Davidson. <laughs>
4: the next man's quarters, breaking
0: my back with the shaft for headquarters, all my manpower for four bucks an hour, he took
5: the
4: time and wrote rhymes in the shower, are scuff cause the road gets rough, but I'm a